Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful in oil country and around the world. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. Oh. <laughs> and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy, who uh, who I, I started the go button and Bruce hadn't created his uh, his mountain to so he could center the camera in his face. But he is ready now. Yes. He is ready now. Welcome, Bruce. Hey David, how are you doing tonight? Uh yeah, pretty good. Pretty good, Bruce. Uh, it was a beautiful day today and I got out uh, was walking around Twilliger Dog Park uh, in the late late afternoon, and uh, that was really nice and um, beautiful day, and a, a very frustrating hockey game. But there were some good things in that hockey game. Um, the Oilers lose four three to the Montreal Canadiens. It was a game where Oilers fans are curling, going crazy on the internet, social media, uh, attacking the referees, and I think justifiably so. Sure. It was it was one of the Easily poorest <laughs> officiated games of the year. Yep. It was it was a very oddly officiated games because you know like usually like I understand they let the odd cross checking. That seems to be cross checking seems to be allowed. I mean Larson's getting away with a ton of cross checking this year, so I'm not necessarily upset by the lack of cro- calls in the cross checking plays. But NHL referees do not allow tripping, and there was really? two three trips, mostly the Oilers being tripped, just tripped outright that were not called. At, and it was just mystifying, Bruce. I, I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was. Uh, and and we, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more detail. Yeah, as well. All right, Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things and two numbers podcast. What is your good thing? Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, late Edmonton comeback as they try to pull a 4-1 deficit out of the fire with uh, uh, in the last three minutes of play. Uh, they 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 uh, uh, after Montreal went ahead four to one and won the coach's challenge and the Oilers got a penalty. That was the point where the officials decided it was safe to call penalties on Montreal and a high stick double minor was called and it led to an Edmonton. Well, a four-on-four, and then an Edmonton power play where they pulled Mike Smith and uh, uh, the big three, uh, Nugent Hopkins from McDavid and Dreisaitl, connected for a 4-2 goal with a little bit more than two minutes on the clock. And, of course, that was the end of the penalty. So then uh, uh, it was five-on-five or even strength the rest of the way, six-on-six, I guess is a fair way to put it. And they pulled uh, Smith again, and again they connected. When Yesapuli Arvey made a terrific mid-air deflection of, of Connor McDavid's point shot while simultaneously screening uh, Jake Allen in the Montreal cage, and that made it 4-3. And they did pour it on in the last minute, other than about 15 seconds that they wasted clearing the zone after a bungled play at the point by Tyson Berry trying to keep the puck in, and then poor communication between Oilers that just didn't get the zone cleared. Uh, at the simultaneously, uh, one guy went out, another guy came in at the same time, so they never were all out at once, which you need to be. And Montreal smartly took advantage of that to kill maybe 12 seconds. I don't know, it was too long. 
Uh, seconds are at a premium in a 4-3 game, and the announcers already announced the last minute of the play. Uh, but they even poured it on after that, and uh, Dreisaitl took a hard shot on net, and the rebound went right to Pugliarvi, and if he connected, he had an open net, but the, the puck hopped on him, and it just sort of, uh, he didn't completely whiff, but it just kind of went nowhere when he when he whacked at it, and it was one of those ones, you either get it or you don't, and he didn't. But they came on hard at the end, and... Uh, had Montreal uh, sweating bullets there in the uh, in the dying seconds for sure. So uh, credit for that. They made this game close when it really looked like it wasn't going to end close at all. Yeah, it was a little bit of excitement at the end. Although it never felt like the Oilers were going to win this game. I thought right from the start, the Oilers were flat as a pancake. And I thought really? Montreal just played with more desperation throughout mm-hmm. the game. It's it's unfortunate that some of that desperation wasn't penalized as it, as it might have mm-hmm. been. Uh, but, um, so be it. My, my, uh, good thing, Bruce was Connor McDavid, who just was, um, the orders were outshot 9-11 when he was on the ice, but if you're rating him by that, you're, you're getting it wrong. He, uh, he created five grade A scoring chances or was integral to five grade A scoring chances at even strength. He created four more on the power play. So nine major contributions to grade A chances this game he didn't make one mistake on a grade a chance against according to our evaluation at least and um that's just two fantastic games in a row i think he hates the habs as much as i do <laughs> probably more um there i think i find that i find the montreal canadians to be an easy team to hate right now although i think the referees uh, might have contributed to that tonight so his first big play was was his first uh major contribution to a great a chance was his uh his goal his first goal there and he took a great pass stretch pass from caleb jones and um there was a montreal line change and he steamed up the ice and uh beat the goalie uh raising the puck in the crease going top shelf just a beautiful goal there was all night long though like just before i came on bruce i I review all the scoring chances one more time Mm -hmm. to have them fresh in my mind and as I'm flipping through them, it's just McDavid, 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 right. just this wave of McDavid attacking, mm-hmm. attacking, attacking. It was so impressive. Um, there was another nice play in the second period where Chris Russell actually rushes the puck up the ice, yes. feeds it over to McDavid, and McDavid, beautiful pass right to back on Russell's stick, and he gets a great tip shot. Moved to the third period. Um, we see... Uh, Nurse gather up the puck again on a Montreal line change at his own blue line. He, he, he passes it up to Dreisaitl, a nice stretch pass to Dreisaitl across the ice, who puts it over to McDavid in full flight, and he just charges in again on net and gets a partial breakaway and a great shot on net. Then there's the um, you know two great backhand passes. Uh, you've already talked about those goals, but for McDavid right. and Dreisaitl set up Nugent Hopkins, and then a nice uh, outside shot from McDavid on Pugliarvi's tip shot. So he was just, it was just endless McDavid. And I and I have a feeling, Bruce, when it's no longer endless McDavid on the Edmonton Oilers, we are going to feel a great lacking in our life as sports fans. Because So enjoy this right now, right here, right now, because these nights are very special with this player. Yeah, well, tonight was a night we, we had to have a virtual thumb wrestle as to who got to name our good thing. <laughs> we, both, we both zeroed in on the same uh, individual who was uh, certainly the driver of uh, Edmonton's attack in this game. And uh, he uh, he did amp it up, but uh, 
three points. I mean, when you lose four or three and you got one guy with three points, he's not the one you point the finger at at the end of the night. You do not. Uh, you're bad thing, Bruce. Uh, well, two... what was, let me guess what your bad thing was, Bruce. Let me just have a little guess. I'm not going to guess. It's obvious. That was a rhetorical guess. I got two fingers to point at my bad things tonight. <laughs> and they were tonight's uh, uh, referees, Eric Frick and Kendrick Frack. That were the <laughs> starting referees. And I thought they had an atrocious game. Uh -huh. Dumb and dumb. They, they were, um, yeah, they, they were... Well, let's not call anything. Let's let the boys play. Boys will be boys. And I mean, if there's a head rolling on, on the ice in the corner there, well, hey, that's just hockey. That's Colin Campbell hockey. That's what we want to see. And I was particularly enraged uh, at the treatment that Leon Drysaddle received. Uh, first of all, I would say at the hands, but more at the shaft of the stick of Shea Weber, who tried to... Uh, uh, make Leon his personal King Charles I at the executioner's uh, bucket uh, with several vicious cross-checks, obvious, obvious cross-checks that were consistently not called. Shea Weber wore the cloak of invisibility throughout this game. He must have committed, I mean, probably not a dozen fouls, but it seemed like a dozen fouls, maybe only half dozen. But Bruce, he's a veteran. Called. He's a veteran, but he's a veteran veterans yeah. allowed to do that? Come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he had the cloak of invisibility going. And then Leon, I mean, Leon played a, 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 let's call it a robust game tonight. But then in the third period, after two and a half periods of the refs calling nothing, of, well, he was fouled. Like, Leon hit the deck, I bet you, eight times tonight. And there's a lot of games where he never goes down even once. He just kept getting knocked down, tripped tugged down, tackled, cross-checked to the ice. And then in the third period, he, he took a shot on net. The rebound went into the corner. Uh, Montreal defenseman, uh, I think it was uh, 44, was it? Uh, Edmondson uh, cleared the puck out of the corner. Leon went and hammered him with a very heavy, hard, but to my view, clean check. And all of a sudden, that's a freaking penalty. And it was called interference when the guy just played the point. Dave Tippett, I mean, Dave Tippett's got a lot more control than I do. And he looked serious askance at that after the game. He's sort of going, how can it be interference when the guy just played the puck? And when the follow-up question came in, he said, I just can't talk about it anymore. You know that he's just, you know, you could tell he was like super frustrated, but just trying to play it cool and not trying, you know, Anyway, uh, Furlat and Nicholson, uh, who are the real names of frickin' Frack, they were brutal, and I think they were uh, they were a significant player in the outcome of the game. The, the Montreal power play goal scored after that dry saddle penalty, and then I mean you can argue, and Mike Smith certainly did. Uh, that Smith stick got kicked out of his hand just as Montreal scored the 4-1 goal, which, of course, stood up to be the game winner at the end of the day. So it turned out to be a pretty huge goal at the time. It just seemed like the sort of the last final insult, you know, 4-1 with five minutes left, and it turned out to be the difference. So that one was a little bit iffy. It wasn't as obvious a call as the one they got right. Different refs got right on Alice Chase on the other night, but I... 
I don't know. I mean, the goalie got his stick kicked out of his hand and then knocked off balance, and they scored on the continuation. But anyway, it's more of the Shea Weber stuff, like over and over again. When the guy's got his two hands extended full length, like you could have the the ref on the International Space Station, and he'd be able to see that extension of Weber. It wasn't like a little bump and close, you know. He just reached out and drilled him right in the back. Yeah. Sent him hard to the Should ice. Have been I a mean, battle. that's got to be called. Yeah. And you've got to protect your stars, NHL. And tonight, Oilers stars got absolutely mugged, thugged, mauled, hauled, pounded, and they got the penalties. McDavid got a penalty, and Drysaddle got a penalty. Yeah, I don't usually uh, I don't usually like it when coaches complain about refs like and lose it on the bench about the refs. I think it's counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it gives the team they get caught up in it and they get these to get excuses and but when you're when your star players there's there, there's one exception to that rule when you're when the health of your star players is imperiled. Yeah, I I think that's when you speak up for, and you 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 forcefully complain about the refs you know you talk about they're not doing their fundamental job their fundamental job is not to influence the outcome of the game well that's the kind of the the code of hockey that they're not supposed to influence the outcome of the game but their real job is they're not supposed to let the the players get injured i mean this is why we have refs so so there's not major injuries and and i guess so cheating doesn't win games but they they just totally failed Bruce, the, those McDavid and Drysaddle were in danger on the ice, and I was mm-hmm. by the by halfway through the, the third period. I'm just thinking, I just hope Edmonton's star players get through this game without being injured, because uh, unfor you know, of course Zach Cassian got injured when he was being the uh, the aggressor on a check, but that's what I was hoping. Uh, so they'll be they'll be running out of ice bags in the dressing room tonight. I mean, there's going to be a lot of welts and bruises and so on from all the stick work and lumber laying on that was uh, that was being done and so yeah. i i've been i i you know i'm i have a long history of being a uh, uh not happy with the refs but i bite my tongue you know this is the first time all season david or i've named a ref is a bad thing but these guys deserve it they stunk and I was thinking, like, I was hoping, and like, when people are writing about the stories, put their names in, so when they, so when they Google mm-hmm. it, they'll see their names. Um, Bruce, I have one question and one comment about your Charles the First reference. I think everyone <laughs> knows what the invisibility cloak is. So we, so um, people who are familiar with uh, the Charles the First Wikipedia entry will know that on January in January 1649, at about 2 p.m., Charles the First put his head on the block after saying a prayer and signaled the executioner when he was ready by stretching out his hands. He was then beheaded with one clean stroke. And my comment is... By executioner Shea Weber. That was was an apt comparison to Shea Weber's uh, clean stroke. But my my question is, of all the executions that there's been, why did you pick out Charles I? Uh, Well, because if I said Marie Antoinette, that may not have sounded good on Dreisaitl. Uh, but uh, uh, Charles I, uh, there's actually an astronomy connection here. He's, uh, there's a star in the sky called uh, Cor Caroli, and its full name is Cor Caroli Regis Martyrus, which means Heart of Charles, the Martyr King. Huh. So it ha- and it's, in fact, a double star. And when showing this star to people at the observatory, I sometimes joke that the uh, 
the bright star is is Charles, and then the second star down below is his head in the basket. <laughs> what is your anyway. favorite star, Bruce? What's your favorite well, well, star? That's one of them. Uh, but I think, uh, well, uh, as a, a full-blooded Homer, I'm going to go with the sun as my very favorite <laughs> star. But that's Great that's the answer. one we kind of need the most. But uh, yeah, so that one. That is a fantastic answer. <laughs> ten out of ten. Uh, okay. Oh yeah. Okay. My bad thing. Mm-hmm. Well, we're just gonna quickly go through the goals again because those are my bad things. And and there was generally speaking one egregious thing that happened on each goal against. Um. Although the first one was a bit more of a team effort. It it starts with Montreal rushing the puck fast. Kotkin Kanyemi through the through the neutral zone and Puliyarvi fails to slow him down. And you just like the number one job of the forwards in that neutral zone is to slow down those guys. And he just comes barreling with a head of steam, makes it hard on the defense. But Bear um, Kanyemi um, cuts into the middle of the ice and Bear goes with him, which he's kind of pulled out of position. But the reason he goes with him is Nurse is so far back, he's given up so much gap. And there's a big open space there. So the, both of the defensemen there kind of make a mistake and they leave, essentially, Kutkiniem is open to make a pass to the wide open Arturi mm-hmm. Lakenet who's going into the, into the net and he scores. And that was not, that was just a, you know, uh, a cluster frack. Yeah. It was multi, multi, multi-layered cluster frack by three players there. So not good. Uh, this, that's a good one. The, um, the second goal, you're not going to see this. You haven't seen this too often this year. Um, Adam Larson get beat, flat out beat on a rush and on a goal against, but he got flat out beat. He, he kind of got tripped up a little bit in the center or the neutral zone area. So he wasn't quite set and like going back. He wasn't right. as set to skate quickly backwards as he might have otherwise been. But Anderson just powered around him. Um, so there's not little little else to say about that goal. The third goal, oh, this was the power play goal on the dry sidle penalty. And I don't know, do to, Josh Archibald gets the puck on the boards and he surprises everyone, probably even himself, by putting it on his own net. Mike Smith is a bit shocked and kind of pumps it back out and it's deposited in the net by Tyler Toffoli. Well, you missed the first mistake. The first mistake was Jack Michaels' uh, Talking about how great the Edmonton penalty kill was about four <laughs> seconds before Archibald kicked threw it away like that. So that was, as soon as he said that, I'm going, oh, no. And <laughs> disaster ensued quickly. You know what? I have to say Jack Michaels and Louis Nebraska are just a fantastic They're good. Uh, Michaels, he's not my favorite in some ways, but I, I got to say he brings, he brings the emotion and the excitement game after game. I, I You know, when he took over from Rod... Mm-hmm. I was such a Rod Phillips fan. Rod he just, I, it took me a long time to warm up to Jack. Maybe maybe because I was just such a Rod fan, right? And uh, I don't know if I ever completely did on the radio, but I, I, I think his TV work is as good as I'm seeing right now in terms of play-by-play. He is fantastic. And I was, I've also, you know, in the past, in Louis's first incarnation as a play, as a color commentator, I was critical of him. I think he's come such a long way as a commentator. He's so smooth and... Uh, He's he's interesting. He said he he says interesting things. Uh, he's more pointed than he used to be. That was my main criticism that he was never critical. But he he ranks up there with Craig Simpson right now in terms of providing just interesting, solid color commentary. So we're lucky. So 
I'll forgive Jack uh, for for saying what he said there, Bruce. The other uh, thing that happened there was Archibald was trying to hit Darnell Nurse with the pass. Like, he kind of got it in the corner, and he was on his backhand for clearing it, and he sort of looked around and thought, I'll pass it to Nurse. And Nurse, for whatever reason, broke away from the Edmonton net up ice. And, I mean, there was no real reason yeah. for him to leave his position. So Archibald's pass to Nurse instead went behind Nurse and right on net. And Smith just punted the rebound right onto the... Like he didn't, he didn't react well at all. Then the fourth, fourth goal. What did you call it? A Fuster cluck? Fuster that cluck. it? Fuster yeah, cluck. that was another <laughs> one, but of a different variety because, uh, well, we all, well, not some some people might not who are listening to this podcast might not have seen the play. So, essentially, the puck gets shot from the point. Um, it it rebounds off the boards, and there's kind of a chance at the side of the net against Smith, and he he's kind of goes behind the net, and he's coming back out. Josh Anderson skating by and he clips his clips his stick and takes his stick out of Mike Smith's hands, grabs the puck and puts it in the net. So Smith has no goalie stick and the, the owners made a coach's challenge. I think it was probably the right call, Bruce. Under the circumstance, yeah. like with with five minutes left and down, you know, I mean, it was it was worth the gamble. And as it turned out, the uh, gamble failed. But the um, the penalty that the Oilers took for challenging was uh, quickly killed off by the double minor that Montreal took. But it was... Um, I think it was the right call by the, the coach yeah, to challenge by the people. coach to do it, yeah. yeah. No, no, Even no, no, if no. it was a 50-50 I'm saying it was call. the right call of the people in the, the well, NHL the made the right. right call and saying that's a good goal. I think it probably was a good goal. Do you disagree? Well, I mean, they certainly made contact with Smith's stick and, you know, knocked him off balance and so on. But it had, I think the ruling was he was just outside the blue paint, so it's fair game, I guess. So Smith was pretty upset because he'd been called himself for a very marginal trip when he put a stick out to clear a rebound and the guy stepped on it, and that was a penalty. But it just wasn't Oilers' night, let's put it that way. And... Uh, yeah, I don't know what the rule is. Like, if you if you're outside the crease and they and you get your stick, because it wasn't like he slashed it out of his hands. It was not intentional. The play that Anderson made, I don't believe. Although maybe you believe otherwise. So well, he kind of was... dragged his skate through there. I think he knew what he was doing, but it was you know sort of he was entitled to the space, and that was what the ruling was that uh, Anderson was entitled to go there, and he just skated through the check of uh, Mike Smith's stick. So. Anyway, that that one, I mean, uh, I'm not going to rip on the refs necessarily for that sure. call, but it was just another call that didn't go Edmonton's way. Let's put it that way. But at least a case can be made on that one that that uh, as you've tried to do that they that they got it right. That it was you know certainly a a, a marginal call. And I mean, if they'd have called that against it. if they'd have called that against Montreal, what would they have said to Corey? <laughs> It was good for Tippett to challenge that call. I agree. He made the right call to challenge it because because it could have gone Edmonton's way. It was very, it was just it's it's like a fifty one forty nine call. I think it was very close. So who's it's going to go for? All right, what's your number, Bruce? Oh, okay. Well, I'm I'm going to go right back to the same two guys that I singled out. Well, last game I singled out three guys: Bear, Nurse, and Barry. But tonight it was Bear and Nurse right from the beginning, as as projected in our last podcast. But tonight they did, just didn't have it. And I mean, early on in the game, Nurse landed a couple or three thundering hits, and I thought he was really into it. But his play, he just wasn't 
he wasn't as zoned into the into the game tonight. And with them on the ice, uh, for Nurse, ten shot attempts for twenty four against for Bear seven to twenty two, shots on net four to fifteen for Nurse three to thirteen for Bear, and they got. Uh, uh, you know, they just spent way too much of the game in their own end. They got outscored one goal to nothing on that crucial goal in the last 30 seconds of the first period. And it was just not really uh, a very good game by either guy, and it shows up in the numbers. Like, to me, the numbers reflect how they played, which just wasn't that great. We've already talked about their play on the first goal against, so on a very significant play as well, they oh, they screwed up. Uh, yeah, Bruce, I, I agree with you. And for so for all that, all the fans who have been lobbying very hard and hoping very hard for Baron Nurse to be put together on the first pairing, that was not an auspicious debut. In mine, it's a similar thing. I, you know, as, as people on this podcast know, I've been lobbying hard all year long to see the Dynamite line returned um, as a unit. They were they were weak tonight and ineffective. Um, I, I think that Nugent Hopkins was not quite yet bringing his A game. He Hopefully he will. It was great to see him back. It is not uncommon for players coming back from concussion to take a while, mm-hmm. sometimes a long while. It's great to see him score that goal. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll, that'll excite him and hopefully, you know. But so I hope he's, I hope he's ready to go. But that line as a group, um, for various reasons, they were fouled a lot, as we've mentioned, but they just, they weren't clicking. And, and this is also seen in their shot metrics. I just go with shots. Nugent Hopkins, mm-hmm. uh, when he was on the ice, uh, and usually with dry, dry set on the Yamamoto, th- three shots for 10 against. And that's similar shot metrics for all of the, the guys on that line. Three shots for 10 against. So that kind of told the story of that line. They just weren't, when that line's going, and they came close a few times, it just... It, it seemed just could never get fully in sync. They came close a few times to getting it going in the offensive zone with that great kind of hunting as a wolf pack for the puck and then passing it around with such great skill. But we didn't see that in the the first game. I hope they're they're together again next game. I, I honestly don't like I don't think McDavid needs Dry Seidel or Nugent Hopkins on his line to go. He's he is a player who can do it, who does it on his own, who whoever he is with. Um I actually like Pugliarvi. I thought he was playing with a bit more confidence tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's probably feeling good about himself. Like, he's he, he's going to be the sure. man now on that line. Like, McDavid's going to make plays with him now on that line. And and I th- I'd like to see that continue, like, for the next few games. Let those guys work it out. Maybe put McLeod there. Maybe that's way too much uh, to ask of a young player. Although I don't mind Archibald there. I just, I, I think they should stick with these lines for a few games and bring McLeod in. You know, the other bad thing, Bruce, that we didn't mention was Cassian getting hurt. And this is mm-hmm. the second time early in the game against Montreal where um, the orders have been thrown off. You know, we feel bad for both the players, Cassian and Kara. It's also mm-hmm. tough for the Oilers in these particular oh. games to have their, their line combination thrown out like that. And I thought it was particularly this game where the Oilers lacked a bit of energy. Would have been good to have all four lines going. And, Ca- and Cassian, they, they missed yeah, Cassian they missed specifically him. tonight they after did. he played pretty well on Monday night and it was a uh, a rough and rugged game uh, being played by Hudson Bay rules which should have played right up Cassian's angle and I mean he did get hurt you know throwing a body check and trying to get involved physically and we're not sure what happened and Tippett said in the post game he's not sure 
how long he'll be out. But uh, I think the orders did miss Cassian tonight. And it's the second time, you know, it's starting to sort of come out of a bad stretch and they got hurt. So it's just not, doesn't seem to be his year. So as for your comment on the, uh, on the uh, dynamite line, uh, I saw tonight, I didn't see Kari Yamamoto very good at all. Like I didn't think he handled the puck well. I didn't think he made plays. Puck went through his stick a few times and, uh, uh, you know, he's he's had a lot of good games, but this wasn't one of them. Hudson Bay rules. It is an informal word to describe a style of play where there are no penalties called. But where does it, how does it relate to the Hudson's Bay? Do you know? I don't know. I'm trying to, I don't see it. Uh, Hudson's Bay rules. Do not get into a rut during the season. Take a break. Go to a skills coach. Take a Mm-hmm. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any anything coming up on YouTube uh, or excuse me on the internet on uh, Google saying I think what they're, I think they're yeah I think it's a reference to the very very early days where everything anything went possibly there weren't even any referees when they played hockey on Hudson's Bay. <laughs> might as well not have been for large chunks of this game. I w- did. I wonder if they ever if there ever has been a game of hockey played on Hudson's Bay. Which, oh, which reminds me of a great quote uh, 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 going to one of our blog, one of our podcasts, uh, uh, Founding Fathers, uh, the great Ed Whalen, <laughs> <laughs> interviewing, <clears throat> interviewing uh, Earl Black and Tiger Tommaso after they'd been in a, and lost a tag team match against a, uh, a particularly dirty pair of, uh, uh, of opponents by uh, Stampede Wrestling uh, uh, standards and uh, Ed, Ed Whalen and and uh, Tommaso and Earl Black were anything but angels themselves. Like they were, they were the guys in the black trunks more often than not. But uh, tweet, tweet Tommaso, tweet, tweet Tommaso and Earl Black and, and uh, Ed Whalen said to them, you know, this was the kind, of, this was the kind of bout where you guys needed about four referees out there, and Earl Black, I'd rather have them with no referees. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite Stampede wrestler, Bruce? Oh, it had to be Tor Kamada. Tor Kamada. Mine was, I, I liked the, a, a bad guy. I think, was Tor Kamada a bad oh, guy? He, oh, yeah, he was a bad guy. He was, I, he was a funny bad guy. He, they had great interviews, him and Ed Whalen. Just yeah. great interviews. He was a, a Japanese guy. And, of course, Tor Kamada, I found out years later, is, a, is the name of the head of the Spanish Inquisition, Torquemada. Very different spelling, but it was its exact sort of homonym, and it was obviously a fake name. <laughs> I didn't know what its meaning was for years until later. Torquemada, I know that name. So, My favorite was Archie, Archie the Stomper Goldie. The uh, I think, he, where was he from? Carbon, Alberta, I believe. And he, he had on uh, cowboy boots, mm-hmm. and he would stomp on people. <laughs> He would stomp on people's heads, and then, uh, then my next favorite was Les Crawford. I think his name was Les Crawford, who mm-hmm. came and he eventually uh, he was the hero, the good guy, right. and he eventually beat Archie the Stomper, Goldie. And for tag teams, I'm going to pick Crazy Nick and Sweet William, the Kiwis. I don't know if you watched right. it during that era, but they were something to behold. I, I was I came on board in '71, and that first winter of '71 '72, my brother and my dad and I would watch. Stampede Wrestling every Saturday afternoon, and then my brother went back east, and I still watched it from t- time to time. But I was I sort of followed it sort of fanatically for a year or so there, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. 
All right. I guess the uh, the press the press at the Saddle Dome, the um, press gallery is called the Ed Whalen Press yes, Gallery. I've think, been in so. it. I think you mentioned that before on the podcast. Yeah, I went down uh, to see Oklahoma City play a couple games in Calgary, and I got to sit in the Ed Whalen press box or broadcast center or something. Anyway, it's named, yeah, it's named after Ed Whalen, and yeah, and and uh, deservedly so, uh, a legend in in Calgary and really across Alberta. So that uh, that gave me a warm feeling to be in the Ed Whalen broadcast center. Okay, so the orders play not till Monday. Is that correct? Yeah, What's well, I guess four about? days to have ice Arbiter. packs applied. <laughs> and somehow, when they're making up all these games, they had this big four-day gap in the schedule, and they couldn't find a, a makeup game to be had in there. And then once they get playing again, it's 10 and 17 days. So it's just, it's just uh, uh, full steam ahead for the last uh, last three weeks of the of the season which has been extended by a week for some of these makeup games and i think at one point the Oilers play vancouver four times in a row and that may be by the time vancouver's starting to wear down a little bit because they still got 17 games left or 16 games yeah. left and, and they, they have a, a mountain to climb Whole yeah if, if the refs aren't screwing the Oilers, the schedule makers are with their hudson's bay oh. scheduling <laughs> Uh, let's yeah. leave it there. Thanks for talking tonight. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>